Now, boys and girls, it's time again. Again, again, again. This is the PowerShell Podcast. PowerShell Podcast. You girls and boys will have lots of fun. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. Power to the people. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm host Jordan Hammond with the co-host Andrew Plaw. And today we have special guest Yap Rosser. So you are quite often speaking at conventions or different summits and everything. Uh, I guess, how, how did you get uh, to where you're doing that as, as often as you are? Um, well, I suppose the, like public speaking for me was ne- never really a natural thing to do, but uh, I'm also not all too great at um, shutting up when I probably should shut up. So I guess I was at a I was at a Microsoft event, and this is a while back. It was about Windows Server 2012, and they were doing something. And then I shouted from the back, "Why don't you use PowerShell?" And then the Microsoft guys on stage said, "Why don't you show us how?" So then I got on stage and I showed them how to do it in PowerShell. And from that moment on, I got involved with uh, the first edition of the Dutch PowerShell user group, and then it just started escalating, and now I do it quite often. So that is far, far different than the normal story. Normally, it's, well, I built up to it, and I built the confidence, and I just gave it, and it went well. But you yelled things from the back row and then just took over a, a, a talk. Well, they they invited me over. Yeah, I'm not saying that you weren't you weren't uh, <laughs> that you weren't invited. I'm just saying it's it's interesting the that that's that's very uh, outward going for someone who's in IT. Normally, it takes a lot for us to build up to that, and you just dove right in. That is impressive. Well, I, I didn't expect that I would be called on stage. And <laughs> when I was asked to speak at the Dutch Power Show user group, then I regretted it for the two months leading up to it because <laughs> I was not happy that I had to be on stage. Because when I was still in uh, in school, I always avoided uh, doing anything with presentations. So I, uh, I, I had uh, near zero experience. How did it go when you gave it after that two months? Um you know, I, I was terrified because the, the scripting guy was also in the audience. Oh, Ed Wilson, I think? Yeah, Ed Wilson. And I think Teresa was also there. And wow. Ed Wilson and the scripting guy blog at the time is where I learned PowerShell. So for me, it was quite intimidating to, to stand there, already being terrible at public speaking, and then having to go on stage and tell Ed Wilson how to do PowerShell. That's uh, there was definitely definitely added something to it, but it went uh, it went well enough. Well enough is really good for the first first time. So my, my question is, when they said, "Why don't you show us how to do it in PowerShell?" Yeah, and you hopped up on stage on on just moments notice. Were yeah. you able to do the PowerShell? Because that, that's oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So the the thing they were showing was uh, how dynamic memory worked with uh, Hyper V, and they used some kind of GUI tool, and it was kind of glitchy. So I just had a, a PowerShell loop that uh, took, took an array and then added to the array infinitely, so it blew up the memory. Interesting. That's one solution. Is that solution the, still the accepted way of doing that? Uh, I don't think yeah. if, it, if it ever was the accepted way, but it was the, the quickest way. You could do it with a one-liner. It was like 20 characters, and then you had something that would just 
blow up the memory at least up until four gigs or two gigs, depending on the, how you get it. Very cool. So we had an episode with Sabrina, and she mentioned that it, the first time she spoke, you were there in the audience. Yeah. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah. I remember. It was, uh, I, I think it's the only tech event in Malaysia I ever attended. So that was, uh, that was quite a coincidence. Were you speaking there? Uh, no, but the week before I was, uh, I was speaking at an event in Singapore and, uh, actually I was, uh, organizing a PowerShell conference Asia. I did that for, uh, for a couple of years. Um, and then some of the MPPs, they were also speaking at an event in Malaysia. So I kind of tagged along just to watch them speak and see what that, e that event was about. Yeah. She, she mentioned that the your your kind words after were kind of a big motivating factor to keep going because she was very nervous in that one so i think it's kind of cool that uh we, we always talk about community and how it always is uplifting and we're uh we're following the uh the chain of events of, of mm -hmm. building up other speakers as we go yeah yeah so i i, I remember that i uh, i walked up to her afterwards uh, i believe to uh congratulate her on the good talk that means i probably have to change the way i'm thinking because after i watch in anything like at the PowerShell Summit, I don't feel qualified to go up there and, and weigh in on, on how they did. I guess I, I thought you did fantastic, but even like it doesn't matter. Like they probably just would be happy to hear that someone enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So I, I probably need to change that and be more, uh, I guess, outgoing with, with uh, talking to the presenters after. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's one of the big motivators for for me personally as well. Uh, and that's also why, like the last couple of years, uh, the, the last two years have been harder for me because there's a lot less feedback from when you give talks digitally compared to doing it in person. Because in person, afterwards, there's always people coming up to you, or uh, if, if they're a bit shy, they might come up to you uh, like half an hour later and uh, either give feedback or give their thoughts or ask more questions and. Uh, I, I learned from that myself as well because there's always different uh, different perspectives. Uh, I think that's that's one of the great things that the that the community brings that you have so many different perspectives and so many different approaches to problems that you never uh, you never know at all. It's uh, it's interesting. It's uh, something we stumble off someone a lot is uh, even those that feel like they're new to it or don't have anything to provide. They still have such a unique take that. Uh, people that have been doing it for a long time can still learn from it. Like it, it never stop learning. I guess mm -hmm. is kind of an important part of it. And I don't know. I and I, I guess I just it is. I need to change. I need to stop holding in my hey. I thought that was awesome. Just I mean, no one's gonna care. Like, who are you anyway? <laughs> but I'm still gonna do it. Yeah, J just do it. See how see how it goes. If it's not for you, then it's not for you. But if I'm standing on stage and you tell me I did good, then I'm a I, I'm always happy to hear that. Yeah. Well, I think the genuine compliments are always a good thing. If you can be honest and, and give somebody some positive feedback, it's usually going to be efficient and lead to better things for everybody. Mm -hmm. This is way late, but I enjoyed your talk on abstracting code at uh, PowerShell Summit. Yes, yeah. sir. Oh, thank you. That's uh, that's good to hear. <laughs> that was a fantastic. One. Actually, I ended up I, as part of the recap. I was trying to write a blog about the sessions I attended, and, and yours was. It went above my head pretty quick. But it was still fun to try to follow along. Just the idea that code that writes your code for you is uh, that's, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Yeah. 
I guess nowadays we also have uh, GitHub, uh, GitHub Copilot, so we actually have code that guides uh, our code. I, I, I did try it out. I uh, I, I typed function in, uh, in in VS Code, and I, I had it autocomplete just to see what it uh, would show up with, and it would just give 40 lines of code of defining a function that it completely ripped off GitHub from some other project. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's next level because uh, the the uh, another common theme is uh, everyone that does PowerShell at some point will talk about how lazy they are. It's mandatory, I think. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like the next step. I, I'm I'm all for never writing PowerShell again and just having PowerShell do it for me. Well, that's uh, I I guess we'll never get well never say never of course, but I I, I don't think we'll we'll get to that point with uh, with PowerShell. This. Uh, not anytime soon. No. I think we'll still have a job for the next uh, six months. I, I guess that's good. <laughs> I, I do like money. How did you get into wanting to abstract code? Like, what was the kind of situation that led you down that path? Um. So, well, that ties back to uh, ties back to my laziness, and the, the the reason I wanted to abstract it is because I wanted to build a module that I could easily add things to in in the future but in order to facilitate that i first had to think about how i could make it as easy as possible and that that process took uh, uh at least a couple of days maybe maybe a week to get to something that i was uh, something that i was happy with um but the benefit it gave me is that i could define my functions just in a simple json and the functions could then write themselves. And all you had to do was edit a JSON and you could generate an entire new function. Well, it would have been way easier to just have a couple of one-liners that I would copy-paste. Uh, at least that's something that was extensible. And I thought what was interesting is you showcased someone else's at your talk, uh, James Brundage, the way yeah. he did it. And he was actually attending your, your talk, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know he was there. So that was, uh, that was a nice coincidence. What was it. the name of the module? Uh, I think it's called PS DevOps. And uh, th- th- there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of functionality in there, but the one that I thought was particularly cool was the one uh, where he exposes the GitHub APIs, and it exposes them by just uh, typing the URL of GitHub, and then you can tap to all the API endpoints and uh, uh, do your queries directly from uh, uh, from the console. Definitely sounds pretty complex. It's that's what's great about Summit. I mean, I'm sure it seems like you really do enjoy the talking, but I think just meeting the people that have done some of the cool stuff that you mess with every day, I, I think that's one of my favorite parts. It's just I always get to, I guess, meet the people behind the things that just make my life easier. Yeah, it, it, it's that, and the, the fact, the, 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 all the random conversations that you have when you're when you're at an event like that, you all you all come there for the same reason, and you, you might like different tech stacks, but there's just uh, yeah, so so many ways to look at problems, and just just hearing that uh, from all the folks there was uh, was indeed great again. And you've uh, recently gone to PSConf EU ever since. Yeah. Uh, since summit has ended, so how was that? Yeah, that was uh, that was great, uh, great as well. Uh, it was the first time that they hosted it in Vienna instead of uh, instead of Hanover, 
So unfortunately, we couldn't uh, we couldn't drive there because uh, Hanover was driving distance from Holland, and Vienna is like ten hours, and that's a bit uh, well, probably more than ten hours. So that was a bit too much. But yeah, it was a nice city, uh, good event. Uh, I uh, I definitely uh, definitely enjoyed it. The PowerShell team was uh, was there again, but of course one. Uh, uh, one person missing, but he recently announced that he's leaving Microsoft. So we've uh, we've lost the shell father. Yeah, that was uh, that was a bummer to hear. But I mean, I have to respect it. He's 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 built up something glorious, and now he gets to go somewhere else, I guess, and do it again. Yeah. No, yeah. no pressure, but he set a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a it's a it's a hard bar to uh, to, to step over. But uh, let's see what he uh, what he will do. So what was your topic that you uh, spoke about at PSConf EU? At uh, PSConf EU, I talked about GitHub, uh, GitHub code spaces, and I talked about uh, uh, improving your home uh, automation with PowerShell. And that one, so GitHub code spaces, I just talked about why, why code spaces are cool, that you don't, uh, you, you, you don't have to have all the tools installed on your uh, on your system and yeah the main benefit for me is uh, I, I run on windows i do have wsl but uh, like the packages can different differ from one version of of the other uh, so i just like to keep that that part in code spaces and the other part was home automation and there i talked about how you could uh, like catch the API calls of your Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi connected devices, uh, and then build a PowerShell module around it so you can mess with it yourself. So actually, the the lights that are on my face, I can control them uh, with PowerShell. So I've always been a fan of home automation, but I'm not a fan of the main hub devices that you can buy that are going to do things with my data that I don't appreciate. So is this? Are you still using things like? Alexa or the Google Home, or is this you've built your own hub basically, so your data stays yours for your home automation? Um, so it depends on which products you have. The the Wi-Fi connected devices, uh, it also depends on the Wi-Fi connected device. But basically, the Wi-Fi connected ones, they they just have a tiny web server in there, and you can you can filter the you can filter that traffic and make sure it doesn't connect to the internet if you don't want it to, but for example, this screen behind me, it always connects to the internet and some of the functionality is only available uh, by uh, by ca- calling endpoints on the manufacturer uh, website instead of the endpoint it has itself. So it depends uh, depends on the device, but uh, m- my my motivation was to make sure that I don't have to use all the all the apps on my phone in order to control uh, control the hardware I have because I don't want to go into five different apps to turn on my lights in my room. That's, that's not the future I signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> so is, is the PowerShell you use similar to the, the PowerShell summit we attend where here in a couple months we'll be able to watch the videos or of those, or is that going to be? A, a uh, yeah. No, no. The, the videos are also going to uh, going to come online. They, they did a formal announcement on it and it will be online. Soon, soon. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I, I've uh, home home automation is one I've been I, I get ramping up to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely got to dive in and take a look at that. I mean, 
I don't have any of the devices right now. I've, I don't know. I, I think I'm a, afraid of technology for someone who works in technology for a living. Well, I think that's quite logical because we actually know what technology is doing, what it's gathering, and what what it means to to have a whole bunch of devices that all have a web server that you have no idea how to patch because you can't patch it, and it's connected to your network. And if you don't put it in a separate network, it can connect to all your devices and do whatever it wants. That's that is a scary thing if you think about it. Yeah. I, I enrolled for the. Uh, DuckDuckGo beta for their VPN firewall where it stops your apps on your phone from connecting out there. Mm -hmm. And I thought I knew what was going out there, but the things that they captured, it's apps that I haven't opened up in a month. It's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, they tried to report back too, and then I'll just have all the areas and how many times you tried to report back. And that was, I don't know, that that, that bothered me. I, I, it, I'm, I'm glad that I have it in place, but uh, I would have been happier not knowing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, I went through the same thing because when I was developing the PowerShell, uh, the PowerShell modules for my devices, I also uh, I also proxied the travel uh, the the traffic back to my uh, uh, back to my home system, so I could see what my phone was sending, and then with man in the middle uh, with a man in the middle certificate, break up the HTTPS and see what it's sending out. Uh, yeah. You, you probably don't want to know, but it's <laughs> at least you know what to secure then. Yeah. Is it? So that's why I, I do want to approach home automation, but it's I'm, I'm going to go about it very slow and paranoid. It's going to be a, a long process for me. Mm -hmm. So we, we've heard from uh, both, both sides of this, the PowerShell EU versus the summit in Bellevue on which one is better. You're the first person we've talked to that has recently attended both. So I'm I'm curious on your take on your your uh, which which one has superiority. Mm. Yeah, that's. It, I, I'm now thinking how I can give the most defensive answer without uh, without sounding overly uh, defensive. So I'm I'm t t I'm trying to not prefix it with it depends, but let's see how I uh, let, let's see how I fare there. So now I'm just stalling for time so I can actually come up with something. No, that's it. a tough that's a tough question. Where where you speak so often, if you if you step wrong on this one, mm -hmm. you'll yeah. see your 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 community engagement just plummet. Oh, he's yes. trying to get you in trouble. That's right. I'm, I, this is a gotcha interview. You were expecting I, I, that. I, was, I, I have the feeling that my internet connection is about to drop. So. <laughs> is that part of your home automation? <laughs> no, I just unplugged the cable. <laughs> no, I, I, I think they're uh, they're both great conferences, uh, but uh, I, I don't actually have a favorite. One gives me an excuse to go to Vienna. The other one to go to Seattle. The weather was better in Vienna. I think that's almost a guarantee. Yeah, the the hotel was better in uh, uh, the hotel and venue was better in the U.S. So, I think the fact that no one has uh, absolute like it's always varies of scale on each thing means I probably need to attend both. Is is if if Kelly is listening to this, which I know he is because he has to edit this out. <laughs> I should I should probably attend both next year. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I I've spoken at uh, at two out of the three in one year, but I've never managed to speak at all three of them uh, in one year. But uh, PowerShell Asia is currently passed, so that might uh, might come back in the future. 
it's uh, I'm just, that's what I'm using. This whole podcast is for me to angle and, and push for more summits for me. This is a selfish endeavor. Well, what about I, a PowerShell Saturday, Utah? You know what? I don't, I don't want to take on more more responsibility. This is this would be the fifth or sixth consecutive episode where I've agreed to take on new responsibility. So I, I will I will put that one in the back burner and see where it goes. But uh, I'm just trying to get you in trouble. Don't worry. Yeah. No, it's but not- I think I, I think it would be a great development goal for you to be less afraid to take on new responsibilities. I think this <laughs> can really help your personal and professional growth. It, the responsibilities don't concern me. It's uh, public facing responsibilities. Like uh, yeah. the, I did my first meetup, and after that, I had a entire weekend where I just was a ball of anxiety, just because it was new. It's every time I I do a new version of any sort of speaking, it takes me a long time to recover the first time because it's it's different enough that I have to learn how to ignore that it ever happened all over again. That's that's interesting. My 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 process is different. My process is that I'm completely stressed out up until the point, and then after it's done, then that then it's done for me. But that's uh, well, interesting I'm, to see how there's uh, there's different ways to that. I, I am jealous. It, it was it was bad enough for me the weekend after the first meetup that um, my, my wife noticed that I wasn't even engaging in conversation. I just was sitting there focusing on everything I did wrong over and over for days. But now I know what to fix, right? I'll mm-hmm. find whole new things to worry about next time. Well, as long as it leads to growth and doing better next time, I suppose it's not too bad, but it, uh, a, a couple of days seems uh, seems rough. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm through it now. It's just, it's an adjustment period. That's something about public speaking. You, you think where I've now... I mean, the, the podcast is going, I, I hope, pretty well overall after we're on episode 20. Uh, I do a webcast, I blog, uh, I, I run the meetup. After all of these things, after all that public face, and you think that it would just be something I'm comfortable with by now, and it's just not the case. It's not happening for me. Mm-hmm. That's the next stage. I just need to get to somewhere where I can go do something new public facing and not have it destroy my life for a week. That, that's, that's the new goal. I'm going to put that up on my uh, vision board. Well, we're only at the halfway point in the in the podcast now, or close to it anyway. But you're doing a great job. Oh well, thank you. See, I've been doing the podcast enough now. This one doesn't get me anymore. But the after we released the first couple of episodes, I was hiding under my desk at, at work for a short time, and it took a while to recover from that one too. And it'll be the same with meetups. Like maybe next one I'll struggle a little bit, but then I'll just be fine. It's just uh, being something new, public speaking. It it just flips a switch the first couple of times. I don't know what it is. Well, it's. I mean, if you can keep uh, getting better at that process, it seems like it's quite rewarding. Like, do you find that now that you're in the flow of the podcast, it doesn't take any of that energy? I know you mentioned it was not really a big deal, but do you think that that same thing would happen with doing meetups and stuff? I think like eventually. Where it gets easier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, where the the podcast is every week and the meetup is once a month. I mean, fingers crossed. Is is once a month? It might take a little bit longer for me to adjust to it, but it's more. I th- I think it's I hyper focus on mistakes, and I'm always going to make small mistakes that I can ignore. But the first couple of times while I'm learning, that I just I think everyone can just see the mistakes that I made and and not not the good. I don't know. 
it probably says something about my mental health that that's my first thought, but you know, I can push through it. Well, if you, uh, if you ever need a sounding board for anything meetup related, I've been uh, running a couple for, uh, for a while now. I'll be, uh, be happy to have a chat. Well, I'll, I'll definitely take you up on that. You know, I love talking to people smarter than me and there's so many of them. <laughs> In different well, ways, I, right? I, We're all I, smart at different things. So I noticed something in your GitHub mm-hmm. that fascinates me. You have a place where you can just upload photos of your pets and it will rotate through the GitHub or just random people's pets will pop up? Uh, yeah. So what what uh, brought this idea about... I just refresh it. Yep, that's fantastic. What, what brought this idea about uh, to showcase other people's pets? Uh, well, it, I, I started off with showing off quackas because quackas are amazing and I, I love them. They're very cute. And then I uh, th- then I made it, I, I wanted to make my profile interactive so people could interact with my profile. It's GitHub after all, so uh, it should be collaborative. So initially I made it that if anyone creates an issue, there was a specific issue template and GitHub Actions would pick up the issue and would automatically rotate to another Quokka. And then I thought, well, uh, what what else can I do with it? And then I made it that people could do a PR and add their pets uh, add their pets into it. And I was thinking of making that one automated, but that would also be open to abuse. So then I thought, okay, no, this one will be manual because not any picture should be in my GitHub profile. That's wisdom right there. Top-notch mm-hmm. wisdom. Yeah. Probably says something about myself that that's the first thing I thought of, but I've been on the internet for a while, and it's sometimes a great place, but sometimes it isn't. You you give someone an unmoderated space to put up whatever they want, it's going to get gross. <laughs> so now, now, now I have cute pets and quackas, so yeah. I, uh, I, I reach my goal. Well, I mean... I, I'm a big fan. I got uh, two dogs and a cat right now. Oh, nice. So are any of these, do you have any pets of your own or is this just quackas and other people's pets? Uh, I think I put up a picture of my dog as well, but I'm not entirely sure if it's if it's in the GitHub, uh, in the GitHub repo. But uh, uh, my parents have a dog and whenever they go on holiday, uh, I take care of him. So uh, I think in the past, Two years. He spent more than six months at my place. So, is that T was? I don't know if I'm yeah. pronouncing. Yeah, okay. that's that's him. Yeah, he's he's on your pinned tweet. That is a yeah. that's a good looking dog. He looks very. I don't know. He's uh, pensive in your picture here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's an old boy, but he uh, he still does well. So, so one topic that I've heard you speak about before mm-hmm. um, that I'm interested to explore is Azure Functions. Um, yeah. How did you get started with that? And, and I know they've been around for a while, but when did you kind of see the light with Azure Functions? So when when I saw the light, is that, that that took a little bit longer. When I got started with them was when they first uh, when they first came out because cool, cool new tech. I I need to play with it, see what I can do, and then later I develop actual uh, actual use cases uh, for it. Um, so I think. I got started with it. Must have been early 2018 when I think that's when uh, around when they came out. Maybe they came out late uh, 2017. 
well, it, I, I could put PowerShell code in there. So uh, any Azure service where I can use PowerShell, I use it at least at one point. Azure automation is not something that I uh, I, I use a lot, but uh, yeah. So I think probably in 2019, 2020, yeah, I had my first real use cases of uh, putting uh, putting Azure functions uh, to work. And things I use it for is uh, if I have uh, cloud services or web services that I either want to tie together or I want to sanitize some data that comes out to it uh, out of it and I don't want to run it locally and it is something that I want to run somewhere in a cloud workflow then I uh, I build it out in uh, in Azure functions and and sometimes I do really stupid things but it works for me so so for those who have never heard of Azure functions how would you kind of like one or two sentence explain what an Azure function is so Azure Function is uh, it's part of uh, Microsoft Serverless stack. So serverless means uh, that you don't have to care about the servers. All you do is you write the code, you put it up in an Azure Function, and you say when it needs to run. And that's an Azure Function in a in a nutshell for PowerShell. And the way that you interact with that, what's your preferred method of executing that code or having that code run? Uh, I. Uh, almost exclusively use uh, use webhooks uh, for that. So a webhook is just a, a, a web request, and it can just be copy pasting the Azure function link into your browser and then getting an output. And if you do more complex things, then you'll uh, have to use things like invoke uh, REST method uh, to interact with it or to uh, put data into it and get data out of it. For me, when I tell people about how awesome Azure Functions are, yeah. it's that capability right there that you mentioned. To be able to, from your PowerShell window, access an Azure Function and run whatever you need to do in your Azure environment from any computer. Um, that power is just, it kind of expands the capability of what you can accomplish from PowerShell massively for me. Mm-hmm what you can accomplish within Azure itself as well, because you can expand on a lot of the Azure functionalities by uh, by u- using uh, Azure Functions. Well, while Andrew's distracted, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. And I, I know back. we're on Azure Functions, but I just read a tweet that I, I wanted to highlight because about an hour ago, you just mm-hmm. got renewed for your uh, Microsoft MVP? Yeah. Uh, for that Azure space, it looks like. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's uh, it's been a weird two years, so I know no idea what to uh, what to expect this year. But uh, I'm uh, I'm allowed to uh, represent the MVPs for another year, so that's uh, I'm quite happy. I think that's fantastic. It's uh, I was looking through. I, I Andrew had mentioned that some of them were coming through, and I just saw. I was looking at all these other tweets, and I scrolled right past you. Uh, your announcement of MVP buzz. It feels like that one maybe should have been more of a focus. Mm-hmm. But congratulations, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, just uh, just came in half an hour before uh, before this uh, talk, so it's uh, quite fresh. I need to I need to find out how to celebrate uh, this evening. It seems like you are. That is true. I get to hang out with you. <laughs> that, that, that's the real win for the day. MVP, that's yeah, okay. Talking to Andrew, that's pretty great. Talking to Jordan, that's even better. <laughs> Have you had time to recover for your Azure Functions question? 
Yes. Um, okay. I don't remember th what that exact question was, but I have a slightly related question, which is, um, what are some use cases or problems you've seen solved with an Azure function? Just to kind of get our audience creatively thinking about what this could really do for you. So some of the fun things I did with with Azure Functions is you can uh, you can use them to uh, generate image uh, image files and you can write whatever you want in an image file because you can just construct the image file in your uh, in your Azure function. Some of the more uh, more useful things is what you mentioned. You can connect to all your uh, all your Azure services from there and uh, just hit a single endpoint and then. Already execute commands from the context of your uh, uh, of your Azure tenant or Azure subscription, whatever you're uh, you're connecting to. Uh, one of the things I've also used it for is I uh, I had some projects with uh, the Power Platform and Logic Apps, and Power Platform is uh, is a low code platform, so it's dragging and dropping and getting uh, getting a workflow together. But I quickly run into limitations when I'm doing that because I, I I want to do more advanced things. And sometimes the advanced things are possible, but take a lot of steps. Uh, and then I would use an Azure function for that. Uh, for example, if uh, I get uh, if I get a blob of text out of one of the uh, out of one of the connectors, uh, I know that with PowerShell and uh, regex replace, I can get the data at once. And in Power Platform, I had to take 20 steps to get the same data out of it. So then I would just write an Azure function, and I would use uh, a, a webhook inside uh, Power Platform to do the data extraction for me. And then I would save myself 20 steps uh, in Power Platform. That is so much fun sounding. So. You used Azure Functions as an extension of Power Platform to run PowerShell to do some calculations that would have taken a really long time to do in the GUI. Yeah, that's correct. So I, I don't trust this casual drop-in of, and I wrote some regex, because in my experience, I'd, uh, I'd rather run the 20 steps <laughs> than one regex query. At, every time it works, I'm blown away. It's incredibly powerful. I have never gone into regex remembering a thing about how it works. I forget 100% of it every time. So I just have one simple workaround for for regular expressions. What you do is you take the problem that you have, you go to Twitter, you tag IIS reset me, and you say, oh, well, this is not possible using regex. And then you have the answer about 30 seconds later. I, I like it. So you don't, even, you don't even ask him. You just casually say that he couldn't possibly do it. Exactly. That he, is fantastic. He'll, he'll be very happy for the, for the name. Of. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll still do it, though. <laughs> so it's you know, every time I've had to use it, I've always been amazed at the results, but it is a chore. And I'm, I'm, the people that can just sit there and type out regex that's functioning and useful, I, they deserve a round of applause and recognition because that is a unique way to go about something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm still learning as well, and for me, every time I really have to dive into it, it's always been a couple of months, and it's it gets smoother. But if you don't do it on a daily or weekly basis, it's uh, it, it it's not a skill in active memory. Sure, I think uh, Andrew and I were working on something with another person here at PDQ where we had to use regex just recently, and it was simple regex 
and uh, boy, did it take some time. I, I think uh, I don't know. I would like to get to the point. Maybe that's some. Maybe that's the next thing I should uh, dive into. Learn is is regex, just because when it functions, I, there's nothing like it. There's nothing quite like being able to take such a massive block of unexpected text and just pull out exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah. also ways that if you don't understand it, you might get the result that you want, but you might go about it in a very slow way if you don't understand the exact syntax. And, and, Which I don't. And Matthias definitely rescued me for myself. Uh, and then it's as simple as just removing a dot and then it is a million times, uh, literally a million times faster than if you would have placed that dot there. So it's <laughs> it's it's something. <laughs> so I was I was curious about I was looking at your GitHub profile, uh, and your title is senior developer advocate. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever seen a job title quite like that. So you're just out there to to speak out. And is it like a office space thing? Uh, you talk to the customers so the engineers don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I think that really worked out well for him. <laughs> 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 I I occasionally he watch uh, he watch Office Space, but that uh, that, that movie uh, still ages well. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it is indeed a, it is indeed a bit of a bit of a mixed goal. So it's you're kind of in between uh, anything from from product, the engineers, the sales folks, the customers, and kind of understanding everything but from a very from a very technical uh, from a te- very technical uh, point of view because that's that's my background and and what it means for me is that I get to dive in cool technology and talk about it to you you folks so that's uh, that's what it brings to me so that's how you get to go to all those summits to talk it's literally the job yeah, exactly it's a new kind of job title, I guess, that I didn't really see existing like older than maybe three years ago or so. Is that uh, what you've seen uh, like as a developer advocate? Uh, so it has been around. I, I think the, uh, I'm not sure if it was called developer advocacy, but I think Apple spearheaded it in the 90s already. But it has really gotten traction over the past I think ten years, and definitely more in the last uh, in the last five years. Because I know Amazon, uh, as a, I mean AWS, has a huge uh, developer advocacy uh, uh, team. So it is something that exists, but mostly mostly big tech companies, uh, and not not very globally dispersed. Mostly focused on uh, North North America. I'm also the only uh, developer advocate uh, in Holland for uh, for Harness, my current company. That gives you the chance to say things like, "I am developer advocacy around here," and who, who's who's going to contest it? Uh, yep, I, really... I'm also I'm also simultaneously the best and worst developer advocate <laughs> in Europe. So, <laughs> depends where you go. I, I choose to focus on on the best, uh, mostly based on. What what I've learned from from your talks, and I really am excited to see the uh, the EU. Are you, when those are, are live and public, are you going to tweet that out? I'll make sure you keep an eye out for it. Yeah, absolutely, I will. And otherwise, uh, at PSConf EU will definitely uh, tweet it out. 
I, f- I feel like following them after I've, I've gone so hard in the paint on behalf of Seattle, following them will feel like a betrayal of my values. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it, though. Okay, so so how about uh, the regular expression that you were doing uh, at your job? What uh, what were you trying to do? So uh, it was he's trying to remove a set of updates, Microsoft updates, uh, from an array, and it just mm-hmm. wasn't like you couldn't just include it in there and do the for you. So it, we had to do regex with the way it was going in there because the with the way the command works with the uh, was it inv- in, in uninstall update. Mm-hmm. is you have to give it a specific full name for yeah. it to give you the full more information that is valuable. Mm-hmm. So we basically just have the base of base of one to go through, look through, and it'd run the command where you could grab the further information. It's it's the first time I've seen a command where unless you include a certain attribute which is highly specific to that one, it limits the information it returns. It was it was pretty limiting for me. I, I didn't like it, but it was well documented. It's not like it's a something I can open the issue on. It's it's right there in the notes. They they say it's there for a reason, but I'd, I'd never seen before where you have to supply a name with it to get the full information and just, instead of just saying, I want to grab all of them that have this string, give me the information, it, it limits it. And I, did, I, I still get frustrated by it. I don't like it at all. Yeah. And which command is it? Uh, it was uh, an uninstall update or it, it wasn't the... I'd have to go I think find it's, command again. I think the one that wasn't returning everything was like get uh, Windows update or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to go see I'm if not I can sure. find it now. But yeah, it was a bit uh, annoying to do that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go take a look at it, see if I can also get annoyed by it. <laughs> um, so you've been speaking for a while, right? And you say you get nervous before them, but over the years, because you've Given a ton of of speech or talks, I should say, um, mm-hmm. have you what what have you learned? Like, what is different now, if anything? Do you kind of realize that maybe we're all kind of common? We're all just people who are into tech trying to talk about it, or are you just equally as nervous as you were in the beginning? Uh, no, definitely not equally as nervous because I know that at least once or twice I might have done a semi decent job. So. Uh, so there's that that I can fall back on. But the other uh, the, the other thing, the, I think the, the biggest realization is that uh, I can also just be myself, uh, be myself on stage and have my own style. I don't necessarily have to be a carbon copy of the ideal uh, the ideal way to present. Because in the end, as long as you can convey what you want to convey, you can do that as yourself and not not as a robot that is just rehearsing the facts and uh, saying all the sentences in the correct order. I think that was, uh, I, I think that's uh, the biggest thing I took away from it. And that, that makes it more natural as well. So that helped. Did it take you time to develop that? Yeah, definitely. That, uh, that, took, a, uh, that, that took a couple of years. But it uh, de- depends on your frequency as well. I was only speaking like once or twice a year, so then it uh, it it's a long process. So so the command was git dash windows package. Okay. So you can do git dash windows package dash online, and it will return all of the windows packages that are installed. But if you include dash package name with a specific one, it gives you way more information. Uh, how do you speak? So it was 
the, yeah, the way it works, I'm sure there's reasons for it where it's documented. There's no issue about it. Like it's just, it's known within there and there's no complaints. It, it, it probably makes complete sense why it does it, mm -hmm. but it didn't make sense to me. And I, and uh, it made me very, very angry. It's probably to prevent too much information being returned by default and like, you know, overloading a server or something like that. I know Better I saw that a lot sorry. with, uh, saw a lot with Active Directory. Where if you didn't specify the attributes, it wouldn't pull in those attributes other, other than the defaults. But when we did it with the package name, the extended attributes that it had in there was, it was like four or five extras. It like wasn't like if you do git dash 80 user with the asterisk for properties and it's just tons of them. It wasn't like that on the final object. So I'm not, I yeah. mean, unless within the attributes in that one, it goes pretty deep and it gets a lot of information, but... Overall, yeah. we got it to work, but it wasn't what I expected. I, I think I tried using get ad user for a couple of weeks, and then I decided, okay, I'm just going to learn how to query LDAP directly, and I only used Etsy and Etsy searcher. It's uh, significantly quicker, and at the time, I was still working with a lot of uh, 2003 servers, so uh, not having to re rely on modules when you were executing and querying against uh, AD was uh, was a big benefit. And then you can also select that you want uh, all properties, because if you bind to the Etsy uh, object directly, you get everything back. Nice. Yeah, it's always uh, nice to go under the hood a little bit and see how things actually work. And, and doing that, you can also sometimes see why a tool that was built on top of it maybe made a certain decision. Um, mm -hmm. design-wise, because it's a limitation of whatever thing under the hood it's using. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think there's always uh, th there's always the balance between, okay, how much am I going to do on the, under the hood? How much like processing time do I save if I do that? And how much time do I uh, do, do I actually spend on it to, to get it to work? So that's, uh, that's a fine balance. And it's heavily influenced by how interested I am in the more complicated technical solution. <laughs> so when I was learning PowerShell, like first getting into it, it was mostly Active Directory focus. So I was in the habit of trying to specify properties for a long time after I'd moved out of the Active Directory space. Like it was, it built a bad habit in me that uh, took a while to break. Hmm. So do you use VS Code a lot, Yop? Yep, I do. Yep, as you probably should, right? Well. You have some customized settings, maybe some a custom font, maybe a theme customization. You have uh, your, your things customized, maybe. Yeah, I do. Uh, I uh, specifically like the, uh, the the synth wave with a with a glowing effect. That's uh, I know. That, that's my favorite one. The, the the other one that's completely over the top is uh, what's it called again? Uh, I I forgot the name of it, but when you're typing you you get oh, like yeah. you get you get combos and when you, when you hit enter there's like fireworks coming uh, coming off it so you you get you get the the over the top hacker feel with all the particles flying out yeah. when you're typing something uh, i i just turned it on when i when when i still went to an office and people could see it it's <laughs> not not as dramatic now when That's you believe awesome. everything you write is epic the, yes, the experience it, it, should match. It, it definitely <laughs> makes uh, <laughs> makes people believe it's epic. 
Well, the reason I brought that up is I recently was helping Jordan with something and I saw his VS code. He has customized nothing. It is completely default. And it was shocking to me. Um, so, it just threw me off. I, I want to be clear here. I've always been very open. I've talked about it on this podcast that I don't change defaults. I'm just happy to go with what's there. I've said it several times and he saw it for the first time. And I've never had anyone look at me with such disgust in all my life. He was, he was yeah. appalled by my lack of customization. You know, we all say things and, you know, maybe I say, oh, I don't customize it that much. I figured you'd at least get rid of the mini map, at least change not, the, the colors from default. Not a damn thing. No. Running them defaults. Well, I, I still have the mini map as well. I use it to quickly go to my code. Well, look at that, Andrew. Counterpoint. Hey, I'm and leaning. it's there for you. It's there for you if you want it. I disable mm -hmm. it quickly usually. Uh, just because I like having two windows up at once and having a mini map and a split editor, it just becomes too much for me. No, I have a, a very wide screen, so it's, uh, it, it fits. <laughs> so I, I, I want to point out the, the risks of customization now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to my defense here. Because we, uh, in the podcast one time, you had me build a function that ran that would change uh, where the cursor location. So instead of being the entire path, it would just be a single symbol with the uh, greater than. Oh, the prompt. Yeah, the prompt. We changed the prompt. And that yeah. worked perfectly by all all appearances. But then when we ran start transcript, on every single run of the transcript, it was printing out an error we just couldn't see for, for that function. So we did that customization, and we weren't seeing anything wrong. But based on what it said with start transcript, I was throwing up an error with every command thanks, thanks to that little customization. Default really? to win. Yep. I, I, had, I had to go to through and error. delete it all before we posted the transcript. What? What was the error message? I'd have to, I, I mean, I'll, I'll rerun it again here and we can all, I'll put it up on the show notes this time so everyone can see that Andrew is trying to, to break my environment. So I customize your prompt and that through errors, because I guess the prompt every function command. runs every single time you run into it, like I guess pops up again. Yep. Um, so if it's throwing an error, I guess that would make sense. Yep. So there, there we are. Uh, that's score score one for defaults. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna blame whoever wrote that prompt function. <laughs> Although it, it does sound like, I mean, I do want awesome flames to come out of my text when I'm typing, so I might have to go look into making some changes. I I, I will uh, I, I will make sure you get that link so uh, we can get it in the podcast notes. There's that, and on the machine I use for the webcast, I do have that one where it automatically unlocks my secrets vault for, for credentials, since I have a bad habit of typing passwords uh, live on a webcast. Mm -hmm. So now I just uh, collect the, the credential from the secrets vault. So I, that, that is some customization that has been extremely useful, is just having common passwords I need uh, ready to go with just a get credential or get dash secret. Yeah, that's uh, that's also uh, always my fear uh, as well, uh, and th there have been cases where I uh, where I've sent my uh, uh, probably shouldn't say this sent my domain admin credentials uh, to a user because it was still in my copy paste. <laughs> I in a chat live chat for webcast put in my domain uh, admin credentials. Hmm. 
and uh, I changed that quickly. And they asked if that was my my password, and I said, "No, that's an old password," which was technically <laughs> accurate. <laughs> well, technically, te technically correct is the best kind of correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have three times uh, typed out my password where they could get the exact length, the number of characters, which isn't as bad, but it's still not a. I mean, it's still frowned upon. Security mm -hmm. did yell at me. I've done that three times, so. I'm I'm really good at sharing my password where I shouldn't. Mm. Uh, like back back in the day when I still had to uh, still had to use ILOs and drag on uh, on on actual servers. Uh, whenever you would remote into uh, remote into those, you could not copy paste because it was just some kind of Java web app or whatever uh, what whatever it was, and the passwords were always really long. So. I totally, definitely not did not bind a hotkey on my mouse to type my domain admin password every time I click that button. <laughs> See, we've been saying for a long time that PowerShell is not the security risk, and we're just proving that it's us, not PowerShell. A absolutely. I'm definitely the worst security risk. <laughs> so that's why we need better processes in place. Exactly. Save <laughs> us make, from ourselves. Yeah, make sure we don't we don't need a hacky workarounds anymore and actually have a secure way like you did with your uh, with your Git secrets. Hmm. You know what uh, is always secure though, Andrew? The defaults. Right, back to that. That is not true. That's no, not true at all. I, no. I think that like the number one <laughs> vulnerability ever is insecure like default passwords like that yeah. is the number one vulnerability ever is default passwords i think well i, I suppose yeah. that, except when you're in a in a windows work group because if you have no password and a remote computer has no way of uh of logging into your account because it requires a password for remote so you're actually more secure if you've no password if the effect attack factor is from another system yeah Oh, <laughs> that's why uh, I don't get I don't get how Laps works because you you were just saying with the Active Directory you just go query with LDAP because it's all open and technically the credential within Laps is stored within the object itself but it's encrypted like Laps is supposed to be the most secure way which I believe there's been way too many people that have written about how secure using Laps is instead of just a default domain or default local admin. Yeah. But how? That's what uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot. If, if you don't know, I mean, feel free. I just uh, yeah, because uh, b because properties can also have ACLs, and I think there's an ACL on there that you can't view that property. So that's why it's secure. Okay. See, I, th I thought everything within AD was just you can just query it no matter what. It was just, oh wow. Oh, you can you can set it. Uh, it's it's been uh, it, it's been quite some years since I actually messed around with AD. But I think if you use uh, Etsy Edit, is that the one where you can edit the schema and completely mess up your domain? If you take a look there, then you can see that you can also set uh, ACLs on the schema. So if if you want to have fun, just put an ACL on one of the required ones, and then you break everything. There you go. That sounds like a great time. So I'm pretty sure, I mean, outside, if you if you modify your own schema, you move outside of Microsoft support for yep. those that are hearing us talk about messing with the schema in AD. Yeah, yeah definitely don't do anything that you just hear on a podcast without researching <laughs> it a little bit first. <laughs> oh, I, I, I have a nice one uh, of that. We, uh, <laughs> we, we actually, uh, we had our own, uh, our own skip, Kitties at uh, at one of the one of the companies I worked on, 
and uh, uh, they were doing uh, they, they were doing an audit of uh, of DNS, and they, they found some script on Stack Overflow that would gather the data that they uh, were looking for. Then they ran the script, and Exchange stopped working, and then other things stopped working. And it turned out that the script was not an audit script; it was a cleanup script, and it just started randomly deleting zones. <laughs> <laughs> so we spent a good six hours trying to figure out what was removed and restoring everything. That was not uh, that was not fun. And that's why you never give arbiter domain admin credentials, even if they want it. <laughs> I think the closest I came to that was based on we had someone helping us set up uh, i believe we were working on load balancers i mean that's not important and i, I manually set the uh, log as an uh, log on as a service for the lo load balancer one and wiped out every other log on as a service count uh and everything breaks i can verify so uh and i guess that, that just goes to like this is a consultant but even then i guess if a consultant's maybe maybe still take time to understand what they have you running, it's on me for running it ultimately. So, mm -hmm. and I, I haven't done it since, right? Oh, you've you've got one too. <laughs> oh, I had a situation where um, I don't remember all the specifics, but back in the day in three sixty five, um, if there was like a spam email or something like that, or I guess a malware email to remove it, there was like a process, and I think part of it was like you had to copy emails to a temporary mailbox or something like that, and I had. Um, been doing that for a while whenever we had certain reported emails, whatever, just cleaning them out, had a process for it. And then eventually we had someone else join the team and they saw my documentation for it. And I guess they didn't run the commands properly. And they also ran them from a lab machine. But what they did was they copied and deleted, not ultimately deleted because it's 365, they could recover it, but cleaned out the entire mailbox of the CEO. <laughs> by doing like a search for the removal email with like a star um, in the subject line or something like that. Yeah. And that was a big deal. We had to look into that and I tracked it down. And it was like, oh my gosh. So oh. for those keeping score, both of your examples are other people running things that they shouldn't have. And mine was me. So oh, I, I, I've, I've done, I've done dumb things. I, I've told you about my, oh, what I didn't do with my domain admin password. <laughs> and my, my, my mouse macro, uh, I, I once uh, I once got down uh, an entire development experience, which forced me to buy cake for all the developers. And there were like 15 <laughs> of them, and they were very hungry, so I had to buy a lot of cakes. <laughs> <laughs> there was, uh, I, I, I was uh, uh, RDP'd into uh, into. Uh, one jump host into another, into another, into another, like five levels deep. And then I clicked on the wrong level to press shutdown. Oh. And then I turned down the development uh, <laughs> Hyper-V server. The nice thing about mistakes like that is you're, you're allowed to make, make it once and just own it and don't do it again. And usually you can move on from it. Mm -hmm. We need to make this a recurring question where we ask our guests, like, what is the worst thing you've done? What is the most negative impact you've ever had at work? Please tell us. But honestly, um, it is important to highlight here as well as we say mistake. These are not like, you know, these are process issues very often. Um, it's not the individual's fault per se. Like there's uh, always takeaways and lessons to learn and ways to improve for the future. Oh, this one was definitely my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and, and never well, just run code you find 
Yeah, definitely don't want to do that. But, you know, I, I like to look at the organization and, and think about what kind of culture allows that. What kind of like are the um, processes defined well enough? Is there some room for improvement there? You know, it, mistakes will happen, though, guaranteed, no matter what, when you have humans involved. So the company mm-hmm. should be expecting a couple of mistakes. Yep. The important part is owning the mistakes. It's when you try to hide it is when you get in trouble. Yep. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I've stepped down from the, from the point where I always wanted to have maximum access so I could do everything. Just give me barely enough. That's, that's all I need. I don't want to be able to break anything because then I'm, then eventually it will happen. So you're a, just enough administration just person now. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, it works for me. I don't, uh, I don't want to have to fix uh, everything. And if you, have, if you take, uh, enough yaps with enough hours behind uh, behind this computer, you will mess something up at some point. That's how you learn. Yep, I think that's the principle of least privilege. So it's definitely a good idea. And I think that as people kind of get more wise or more security minded, they realize that, yeah, it's a liability to have all this access unless you absolutely need it for something. Mm-hmm. Yep. I still want it. It, it feels nice, especially or at least earlier in my career. I'd be like, oh my gosh, if they give me DA, I'm real. I'm real. <laughs> I guess that's where I need to get I think uh, looking at what I do now versus the access I have, I, I think I have too much access, but I'm comfortable with it. And hopefully Josh never listens to this. I definitely want to make that a recurring question though. Uh, I think that it would be cool if we had some like questions at the end that we just consistently do just to kind of poll the community and see, um, you know, how we all have so many similar situations that we've been in and similar experiences that we've had to learn from. Um, And at the time, those types of mistakes feel like the biggest thing in the world. But in context, they're really just a learning lesson in our journey and our career. And. Uh, I think everyone uh, everyone made plenty of plenty of mistakes. So y- y- you know when someone's lying because if someone never made a mistake, then they just don't want to share. <laughs> right. It is a fascinating take because there, it's always a, a large scale thing too. It's not like oh, I brought down a couple of computers here or there. It's always disastrous. The the network is destroyed. Results, which is uh, I know it's it's good to hear that. Uh, even people that you always looking up to for information are also human. Yep. Can, One of my favorite be, things about you, Jeffrey Snover hmm? was uh, just how human he was and making mistakes on stage and that type of thing. I really appreciated that about him. To circle back to an earlier topic, so Azure Functions. If yep. people want to get started with Azure Functions, where would you recommend they kind of go or how should they approach that? Um. So, so two things. The, the Microsoft Docs documentation is reasonably up to date for Azure Functions. So, uh, just docs.microsoft.com, and yeah, try try to think of your of a project for yourself uh, to to have something to build that will be actually beneficial to you. That that always helps me if I if I have a use case. And if you don't have a use case, then just build out some of the some of the sample apps. But yeah, that's. I, I quite easily get bored of that, so I always try to look uh, look for a problem to solve. That's uh, that's how I learn. Yeah, it's a little bit easier to to learn a new thing and push through it if you're solving a real problem and doing something that you're you know kind of killing two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. So what one of the one of the 
easy and also useful uh, 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 starter as your function projects could be to uh, to have a link link shortener where you're where you use an Azure function to use a link shortener on your own uh, on your own domain. So you could do something like that that uh, doesn't take very long to set up and it's pretty well documented. I, I can well, link I can that say from well. experience. Yeah, let's get that link. I can say from experience that if you're using PowerShell and you're in the Azure space at all, um, it's definitely worth exploring and having that in your tool belt. Um, if you can find a project to work on in the interim, but I, having it in your tool belt, eventually there's going to it's going to be exactly what you need. I found at least, you know, having the flexibility to go to the cloud to do whatever you need to up there, whether or not you know, it doesn't depend on the endpoint so much. It's very, very powerful in a way that's really hard to put into words. And, you know, if you experience it, it's so much fun to see. I think we had Justin Grody mention that he has some Azure function costs like a couple bucks a year to run or something like that, that performs millions of operations. Um, and it solves a major problem for their, for them and their ticketing system. I don't recall all the details, but yeah, mm -hmm. those Azure functions, they scale and they take our skill set, the PowerShell skill set that we have and extend it to the next level and increase what we're able to get done, um, which is really awesome. Yeah, yeah, and especially that scaling, uh, that scaling thing can be quite powerful because it it costs nothing for your Azure function to be there. Well, nearly, uh, nearly nothing. Uh, but uh, on one day it can do a single request, and the next day it can do two million requests, and it's still the same code, and you don't have to write anything additionally for for that capability. So I think that's a that's a great strength. I feel like I've done it every episode now, George, but I always like to go back to the PowerShell promise, which is learn PowerShell and the Microsoft team will do everything they can to make it the best decision you've ever made. Azure Functions kind of delivers on that promise where you can really take things to the next level. I wanted to mention one last thing. Um, I saw that you talked about chat ops before and chat bots. Mm -hmm. uh, in what context? Were you using um, PoshBot or were you using something else? Uh, so I used a couple of different bots. Uh, I, I've also used PoshBot and extended it uh, with some additional modules. I think my my most imp what I think is my most important contribution there is I I added the ability to slap people with a trout. So oh, that was you! Oh, that, that was that, you! Oh that my is a gosh! Big deal around here. <laughs> That Dude, is... every single day I see that command. Every single day I see it in, in chat. Yeah. Oh, this just became. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell everyone. I. I we usually just interviewed the guy that built the uh, the trout slap because that's that is that's a big deal. I didn't yeah, know I, it was you. My friend actually asked me who who made that. I'd love to see the code for it. And I was gonna say it was probably on GitHub, but wow, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. So Postbot. I also used Ubot. I think that one was. I think it might have been TypeScript, but I'm not entirely uh, entirely sure. And I've used one other one, but I forgot about that. Uh, which one that was? And yeah, and the, the the use case was just to uh, uh, to be able to deliver end users a way to uh, to be able to run commands or to do simple things like password resets or uh, uh, or even to like restore their own files from a backup. Because I, I don't want to be called when someone deletes an Excel file from their desktop. So uh, if I can have a chatbot do that for me, then uh, all the better. Yeah, I find that chatbots 
are similar to Azure Functions in that you can, it really adds a whole new tool to your tool belt. If you're mm -hmm. creating and delivering tools to different teams, even, I found that you can't deliver a non-technical team a PowerShell module, but mm -hmm. you can deliver them documentation and a chat bot that will perform whatever actions they need to do. And it's a lot more approachable. But yeah. that being said, to connect it even further, we can connect Poshbot or whatever chatbot you're doing to Azure Functions and return it down. So it's really, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like what, what you mentioned, if you want to deliver your PowerShell scripts, you can indeed use uh, use something like chat automation, have a bot take, uh, take the input, but you could also uh, uh, use some of the existing Microsoft tools. So if you would uh, if you would install the, the Power Platform app on the end user's phone, you can just give them a button to turn on or turn off something on Azure for for their specific scope. So you, you can really uh, really extend what you can do from a self-service uh, self-service point of view and you can with with very little effort, you can make it graphical, make it something they have on their phone, and they can control their own destiny. And you don't need to intervene anymore. The the self service is very cool. a big one. One of the biggest requests you get is, can we set this set up a self service portal? And chatbot seems like a, a quick quicker way instead of having like a whole customized website. Just a chatbot seems a quick way to build a self service where they can get what they need without having to talk to you, which is the ultimate win. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think the, the good thing about Postbot specifically is that you can also set, uh, you have quite some options to make it secure as well. So not everyone can run every command because I, I, I do trust everyone, but I trust myself a little bit more. I found that when it comes to chat ops, having it execute things is really great. But oftentimes, if you're having your conversations in chat apps, just querying information and displaying that can add a lot to a conversation. So mm -hmm. I found that for certain advanced tickets or advanced changes that we were looking at, we would have conversations in chat, but then be talking and looking at some data and in the ticketing system. So having a, a ticket that would query that and put it into a formatted table in the ticket, I mean, sorry, in the chat was super helpful and added a lot of visibility to what was going on. Mm -hmm. Yep. And a step below that that I've used a lot is also just outputting things using webhooks. So uh, you have a script that runs however you want to run it. And then at the end, it outputs to a channel in Teams or Slack or whatever you use. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that can, be, uh, can be quite useful indeed. I, uh, I, I made a lot of custom channels for myself to make sure I stay, uh, stay up to date uh, with, with things. It's funny. We have some stuff that will send a webhook to a channel. And whenever something's not working, you know what we do with it? First thing we do, we slap it. We exclamation mark slap it with Poshpot. We know it doesn't do anything, but it's just, this thing broke again, come on. <laughs> First thing I'm going to do is uh, throw up in the, on the, oh, we can't use general anymore. I'm going to throw up in, a, in a, the random chat that we have now been in the presence of the creator of Slap, which is probably the most used uh, chatbot in in the office. This is this is a game changer for us. Dude, well, that I'm, module I... slaps 100%. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that uh, that worked out for the best. That is so funny, honestly. I, you know, we've definitely knew what to expect for a lot of this, um, but I did not expect that little mystery at the end that we have met the author of the slap module. Is that the name of it? Is it called slap? 
it was just a command that uh, oh. I, I I did a I did a pull request back uh, back to Postbot because I wanted to be able to slap uh, my colleagues and I come from the from the IRC times, so there yeah, you could always slap someone with a trout. <laughs> so I figured that needs to be in Postbot as well. Awesome. I think that's fantastic. Is this big? I, I enjoy the entire conversation, but it's always fun to end on like a Easter egg like that. It's, you, you never know when you're going to meet your heroes. <laughs> well, they say never meet your heroes, so there's also that. Well, that's wrong because this has been positively delightful. Oh, I enjoyed it a lot as well. Thanks. Um, so now it's the part where we need to shill. So who is doing the shilling today? Is it me or is it you? I'm retired from shilling. Uh, I think oh, this all right, is I'll Okay, get ready so for some I need magic to... yap. All right, yeah, yap. If you haven't yet, you're about to want to go to your phone right now and hit a little five stars. But let's do this. Audience members, if you've enjoyed this amazing podcast today, over sixty minutes of audible goodness. A lot of PowerShell stuff, a lot of Azure functions. If you enjoy this, if you got something uh, that you could take with you from this, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can choose any. We're on pretty much all of them. Um, if you have any feedback or things you want to tell us or suggestions, or you want to say, hey, hit us up at PowerShell at PDQ.com, or you could even hit us up on Twitter, which we're on Twitter at PowerShell Pod. You can uh, say something to us, and we'll, we'll see it and say hello back. Thank you, audience. It's better every time. It's beautiful. I don't know. Referring to them as audience is a little it's weird. <laughs> I didn't want to do, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. I like it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Yap. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch for the Salt Lake City uh, event. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. It all makes sense now. <laughs> the PowerShell Podcast is a production of BDQ.com.